Welcome to Bonjour Bitch. My name is Charlotte and I'm many things, but most importantly for this podcast, I am multicultural and sometimes a bitch. We're going to talk about everything from relationships to daily life, all from a multicultural point of view. Each week, I'll be accompanied by the most amazing guests to delve further into topics that really affect us all. You'd better get ready for it, bitches. Hi, everyone. Lovely to have you back with us. Today, we're discussing Indian wedding traditions with the wonderful Anisha Vasani, who is CEO of Anisha Vasani Create and Creative Director of Pride Lux. Hi, Anisha. Hi, Charlotte. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me on your podcast today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Um, so let's get started. Tell me a bit about where your family originates from. So I've got a really lovely mix, actually. I'm Indian, but my parents originate from Uganda, so they're East African. Um, and my grandparents uh, were born in India, so we're British, Indian, African. So yeah, a little bit of a mixed roots there. But um, yeah, when obviously my parents uh, were obviously raised and born and bred in Uganda, when the Idi Amin partition happened, it meant that they had to fled all their businesses and then move to the UK. But my uh, grandparents originated from Gujarat, so I'm Gujarati Indian. Oh, wow. And do you speak Gujarati? I do, yes, fluently. And um, also Hindi. Uh, which is more of the universal language which you see on all the Bollywood films. So quite good to know that I can speak like two, three uh, different languages. And then Urdu, which is a mix of both, um, very similar to Hindi, but is another language as well, another dialect. Wow, amazing. And so obviously you're very, very much in the wedding industry. How or why did you get into the wedding industry? Um, it's always been my passion. So when I first graduated, I did a journalism degree at Southampton University and I uh, applied for a job at Asia on a wedding magazine um, at the age of just 22 and literally fell in love with the publication, um, started off as a editorial fashion stylist there and then was promoted as being one of the youngest editors of both the Lifestyle magazine and the Asian wedding magazine. And I was there as the editor for 10 years, uh, wow. which was great. So I was yeah, publishing, it was literally, Asiana Wedding Magazine is like the British Vogue of the Indian industry. It's a fashion Bible that was published quarterly. And I was there just publishing all the, the new trend setting advice, um, all the kind of, you know, lovely kind of uh, tips, trends, bridal styling, you know, different venues. So literally everything from A to Z that you would need for a luxury Indian wedding uh, of all sorts. And then was there for 10 years and I thought, well, everything was really changing in terms of like digital media. Um, a lot of things were developing more so on social media and there was a huge transition. And I thought, right, okay, I've been now here for 10 years um, and it's been great, but now I just wanted a new challenge, wanted to experience something different. And then that's when I met James Lord, who was a dear friend of mine at one of his phenomenal shows, fell in love with his product, his platform. And then he thought it'd be great for me to come on because I would be the bridge between the East and the West and diversify more Bride Lux and celebrate more of those ethnic luxury suppliers 
uh, from different cultures and then bring them on to Bride Lux and celebrate them. So yeah, I've been with him for three years as his commercial and creative director and I've loved it because he's just given me a step um, in through the door with being now on the mainstream. So it means that I can now finally produce my events and be a wedding planner, uh, which I kind of fell into by producing a celebrity producer's wedding when I was the editor of Asiana and it went smoothly well. Um, and he was like, look, you've been the editor of a magazine for 10 years. You have all the best contacts from all the fashion designers, the makeup artists, the caterers, you know, I want you to plan my wedding. So I gave it a shot, did really well. And then from there I thought, okay, this is something that we love to do. I love doing it and love, you know, bringing everyone's kind of vision to life. Um, I've got all the black book of contacts of everybody and it just meant that I could be really creative. So it just meant that just being at Bride Lux, I was able to freelance and work with James and curate his beautiful shows and develop the brand furthermore, but also be able to create my stunning campaigns with my creative consultancy and creative events under Anisha Vasani Creates too. That's amazing. That's really, really interesting. So obviously, you know Indian weddings very, very well. What makes them so special? Well, there's lots of different factors. Um, I'm not sure if you've been to an Indian wedding before, Charlotte. Have you been to one? I haven't, actually. I'm desperate to go to one. I've seen them in all the films and everything, but I'm desperate to go to one. Oh, they're full of so much life and colour. It's a week of literally extravagant celebrations with family and friends coming together um, and to celebrate cultural and traditional rituals. There's so many different rituals that happen. There's lots of dancing involved, lots of music, lots of eating. And the dress code, if you've seen, is literally like a Bollywood film, full of so much vibrancy, colours, really majestic. And the food, if you've had Indian food and Indian- I love Indian food. Yes, there is a huge variety of, because it's a part of our culture to feed our guests and everyone that's attending. So there'll be a huge banquet and spread a variety of dishes for all of our guests. And it is literally a spectacular affair of one week of celebrations from start to finish of different, different rituals and ceremonies before the big shebang Indian wedding. And it is known as my big fat Indian wedding because that's exactly what it is in terms of capacities, colours, food, music and culture. A lovely combination. Yeah, because they can get quite big, right? How many guests are there usually at an Indian wedding? I mean, I've heard 500, 700 sometimes. It can be anything now because it's changed so much from, I would say, 100, 150, all the way up to 1,000 people. Um, you can have 1,000 people at a wedding wow. or <laughs> Indian this wedding. is obviously pre-COVID people we don't know what's happening post-COVID not now so you can imagine <laughs> Charlotte when we announced well when the government announced that it was going to be 30 people at a wedding it was yeah that's not happening for Indian weddings that is just sometimes just one person's immediate family on one side yeah. or two two immediate families and that's it not even an extended family or the grandparents, um, or aunties, uncles, etc. So it's been quite challenging for a lot of Indian weddings at the moment to be able yeah, to I can imagine. proceed ahead. So what are the different key traditions in any Indian wedding that people that maybe don't know so much about Indian weddings should know about? Well, first of all, there are a variety of various traditional 
parts of a wedding dependent on where the couple's family originate from. So there's different types. So there's obviously the Indian wedding, uh, which will be, you know, from couples that originate from India. There'll be a Pakistani wedding where, you know, again, which is consists of a Muslim wedding, an Islamic wedding. Um, and then there's a Bengali wedding, which is more south of India. And then there's a Punjabi wedding, which is more of north of India. So there's a variety of different Asian weddings. When everyone thinks, oh, an Indian wedding, it actually is isn't just an Indian wedding it could be a mix of two cultures or it can be you know any one of those regions that I've just obviously listed on there um, and then obviously you've got the South Indian weddings which are Sri Lankan weddings as well so I'm specifically Indian so I can talk more about Indian weddings but it's always good to know that it doesn't come under the same uh, category of yeah a Muslim wedding is an Indian wedding it's not or South Asian yeah. wedding they've all got their various different types of traditions um, and each wedding is very, very different depending on where you are from. So if you're talking about an Indian traditional wedding, um, that starts, of course, with a week of celebrations, um, literally. So if you're going ever to a destination wedding or a wedding in the UK, be prepared. Uh, I would say to all of our listeners that you are going to need a week of different dress codes. You're going to need a huge appetite and you're going to need lots of time off work because it normally starts off with a pre-cocktail wedding uh, event, which is normally where the two families meet. So it's really important because there's so many people at the wedding, the two cultures will come together to meet and you know get to know one another, just like we would um, of a British or a, a Western wedding. So it's pre-cocktail. And then it will be go on to the second day where it's known as the Sangeet night, which is means music. Um, and that's where you'll have a big music party, which is a whole dance off between the bride and the groom's side. And it's just to celebrate. It's like a bachelorette and bachelor party, but with the families that come together and they celebrate again. So that'll be themed beautifully normally with vibrant colors outside, music bands, lots of cultural dancing going on as well. And then that's followed by where you know, we get lots of ceremonies where the bride will then do henna on her hands. So I'm not sure if you see all the beautiful designs that they do on yeah. her So then the girl's side of the family, and that's all we done separately. So the girl's side of the family will do the henna celebrations and then the, the boy's side will do all the, you know, the kind of other celebrations for him where they like to put turmeric on the whole of the body, which is a ritual uh, for wow. both the bride and the groom, which means that, that she will glow or he will glow on his wedding day and it works so when you know you read about these turmerics in facials it's phenomenal the effect and the impact it has on your skin it's so good for you so they'll go and do those both rituals the bride will be with all of her sisters and her friends and the aunties and the mums um and it's um again another ritual to say that the darker her design on her henna that comes out the more that her in-laws and her husband's gonna love us. There's loads of lo little. Oh, that's so sweet. Know, it's so romantic. And so I know that I've seen sometimes that the henna is on the hands, but it's also on the feet. So is that according to different regions again that it's done on the inside of the hand, on the outside, on the feet? So does that change? Yes, it can change. Some more in Rajasthan, uh, which is again in India, another cult, another region, they'll do it all the way up their arms. 
but it's based on your preferences literally you can have it on your feet you can have it on your front of your hands or on your you know just going all the way up your arms um and it's part of a really really big ritual as well and what we do is work for all of the other guests attending so charlotte you'd be able to have a nice henna design put on at the front which is just a little bit more minimal but yeah of course obviously it's just to say that this is the way that you know people can identify that this bride is married because she's got henna on her hands. So it was a way back then for them symbolically knowing that this bride or she's getting married. It was just a way of the whole of the kind of cities and villages to know that there's a wedding in the house and this is a bride. So you could identify her from everybody else back then. And then that followed, um, followed up by obviously the big traditional mandap, mandap ceremony, uh, which is, you know, always covered and is like our temple uh, where the groom will make his entrance, which is known as the Bharat. And he makes a big entrance. It's to, again, represent back in the day um, to let everyone know in the villages that the groom is coming to come and pick up the bride. Um, so that's why there'll be lots of music, lots of drumming, doors, as much noise they can make. So what they do now to modernize it, he'll either come in a horse or a helicopter or some sort of extravagant way of him making his entrance to the wedding, um, just to let the bride's family know that they are here and they've come to receive the bride. So that's what it represents. And then he walks in, he does all the rituals with her parents. She's not walked in yet. And then once he's done all his religious ceremony rituals and she walks in and normally the groom is covered with um, a sheet where he can't see her until obviously then, you know, the priest does the rituals and then finally he gets to see the bride. And normally both bride and groom are fasting on the day. So they haven't eaten, they're only literally on water and fruit, which is, they only are, I think are allowed to eat when the ceremony is finished. Oh, wow. Yeah, they go around seven times around the fire. Each time they go around the fire represents uh, an element of devotion and their vows and their love. So those are the seven vows that they make to go, uh, together. Then there's an exchange of garlands, which means that they've exchanged their love and the commitment to one another, which is then followed by the sindoor, which you, I don't know if you've seen some of the films. It's the red, it's the red sindoor that goes in between the kind of parting of a bride's head, which represents that she is now married and she is now taken. So yeah, it's really beautiful. Um, and then that's followed by lovely pictures. And then they'll either have the reception on the day, which is like, any kind of Western wedding where it's just one big party to celebrate their love and their commitment to one another. So that is how the whole event turns out to be a seven day affair. Wow. And they do the reception on a separate day. So the guests are not tired because our Indian weddings are very long and lengthy as well. Yeah. So do you not exchange rings at all then? We do more for the civil. So that's why on like okay. what we do in our weddings, it's a beautiful necklace that represents um, a token of their wedding vows, which is known as the Mangal Sutra, that will be put on, and that's more of our traditional okay. uh, kind of keepsake. But normally for our civil ceremony to be legally married here, we would do the exchange of the rings for the civil. So for those that say, oh, well, do Indian brides wear a white dress? Yes, they do. They have their civil ceremony, um, obviously with the registrars and get legally married here, of course. They get the best of both worlds. What's not to love? They do. And it just means a lot more money that you <laughs> can spend and a lot more events. But yeah, we get best of both worlds. And also I've noticed, I mean, obviously I think brides in Indian cultures, whatever the culture is specifically, you're allowed to wear whatever colour you would like, right? But 
traditionally or most of them tend to wear red is that correct right. we normally tend to avoid black um and white because it re represents death um at our indian funerals um especially in india they wear white so yeah. we tend to avoid white and black and yes the bride will traditionally always wear red um so we always say to the rest of the guests please try to avoid and refrain from wearing red but the brides will always wear red now it's moving away now a lot of brides are experimenting they're going for pastel shades light pinks um and blossom colors um they're not always going for red so it's it's changed a lot but traditionally yes it was always red and for the men it was always yellows or like bright colors it's so lovely i i love seeing pictures of indian weddings or videos of them because they're just so bright and colorful compared to you know european weddings where it's still very much you know color palette is established and as beautiful as they are you know people are still sometimes scared of going for the pinks and oranges and yellows and purples and everything just thrown in there and i think it's just so beautiful and vibrant when you see it done well it's just stunning is it's literally it's a rainbow of colors and everyone looks so beautiful because all the guests they're not they're not afraid of being bold because it says in the dress code be as bright and bold as you want to be you know, just be daring and it works really really well especially for the pictures have been watching Indian matchmaking on Netflix oh. like I'm sure a lot of people have <laughs> it was wonder it was a big addictive show that went viral. oh my god it was so good one of my friends who's of Indian origin was like you'll love it yeah. um started watching it and then found out two days ago that all of them are still single and I'm heartbroken but you know obviously I think it was very well done because it showed in a way arranged marriages but how they're happening today with matchmakers and that you know i think it was very well explained that you know you have love marriages and you have arranged marriages but it's not the arranged marriage that somehow we have in western europe of you know two people are forced together even if they don't want to it's very much you sort of introduce like a blind date and if it works it works and if it doesn't never mind absolutely we call them introductions if i'm honest because just like you said it's an introduction between two families so either we'll have someone like a matchmaker who will introduce two families and a suitable girl from one family a suitable guy that they think you know have got things in common and would make a perfect match it's almost like asian dating platforms but you've just yeah. got someone doing it for you and yeah it, there's no pressure at all it's nothing like okay this is a guy and you've got to marry him you have a choice you get to go and meet him uh, whether he comes to your house, whether you meet on a date, and it's very informal, it's not formal at all. And then you get to decide, so that's exactly what it is. And sometimes parents feel comfortable asking someone like, um, you know, Sarita, Sunita, who's gonna actually do the Indian matchmaking because she's got experience and she's got a wide portfolio of different, you know, potential guys and potential girls that she thinks will work together. And yeah, it was quite sad to hear that they, none of them had worked out, which was a shame, but yeah, it's not always like that. A lot of it was very kind of overhyped, I would say. And uh, not a lot of the arranged marriages here are like that or introductions, but in India, yes sometimes parents will only go through a suitable matchmaker in order to find their perfect companion. And do you think that 
in the past few years, people are sticking more or less to traditions in the sense of, you know, how they find their spouse, the traditions that they're actually putting into the wedding. Do they still go for the seven full days? Have they cut it down because they realize that asking guests to take a full week off work is a little bit intense? Which way do you think it's going? Obviously, pre-COVID. Yes, well, pre-COVID, we've seen a huge transition now. Now, I think, whereas before it was part of the traditional culture that parents will plan their weddings for their sons and daughters, now it is back to the children planning their wedding. Um, Of course, the parents will always have a say because it's part of the traditional culture for the parents to pay for the wedding for their daughter or their son. So, you know, when there's money involved with any kind of, I think, religion or culture, the parents want to have a say. But there's a huge transition now where I think brides and grooms are stripping back the capacity of guests. So we've seen so many intimate weddings now happening before COVID. Um, and even now they're like, yes, we don't have to invite auntie and uncle that we've never met in our lives. Yeah. We actually now invite all the guests and friends and family that we want to. So we've seen capacity numbers go down massively to anything from now 100 to 300. 300 is the maximum I think a lot of couples tend to go for because we've realized they want that lavish affair. We know that per head it costs a lot more money. So it's more quality now rather than quantity. It's not about those big school hall weddings like they used to have, communal halls. It's now about, yes, let's get married in these five-star boutique hotels or some lovely manor houses but we're going to have to reduce the uh, quantity. And families are more, I think, adaptive now and more respectful to what the children want. They don't Mm. always want Indian food. They want it to be more of a party. They have a civil ceremony, which is really small. And then the Indian wedding tends to be a little bit how the rituals of what the parents would want out of respect, culture and tradition. But there's huge compromises now. We've seen a massive, massive change um, and it's been stripped back and it's more about quality rather than quantity. Yeah, fair enough. And I think that is overall, not just in Indian weddings as well. I think even in Western weddings, I've noticed it as well, a lot more. What would you say are the key differences, if you could name two or three between Indian weddings and British weddings? Um, I would say, obviously, capacity is a big thing. I've seen a lot of Western British weddings. They wouldn't be such huge capacities of what we've talked about. The cultural Mm -hmm. dancing and music is definitely a very big one in terms of all the Indian music that we have. We will have Western music at our weddings as well because all couples are going to want to dance to both Western music, especially if they're born and bred in the UK. But it's more the the cultural dancing, um, the music, uh, which is definitely different. And I think it's more the rituals, um, you know, and how we do things like how they go around the fire the way that they sit you know it's two separate sides sometimes if it's really religious the women will sit on one side the men will sit on another side and then it's all about the I think the attire you know that's a huge traditional difference you're going to see we get varieties of you can wear saris which is you know the draped fabric the guys wear their amazing shawanis and their turbans um, and then the guests can wear all their lengas and it's the dress code and then it's also the food Um, and the sweets um, and the traditions like in terms of the way that the whole wedding is just curated is just so different. How long does the actual ceremony last itself? It can, it varies. So we as the modern couples, when they come to us, say, say plan your wedding, they're like, please, we want this ceremony over in an hour, but it can go up to three to four hours. So now it's condensed. We, We find them a modern priest can speak both in English for all the friends or the non-Asian friends, okay. the younger generation. 
that cannot speak Hindi, Gujarati or Urdu. So it's all kind of translated. So everyone knows. And so nice. All the weddings that we now obviously plan and curate is pin drop silence because everyone loves to hear what everything represents in a, in a spiritual or yeah. traditional ritual. It's like you could be sitting there and no one knows what's going on. But when the priest translates it, it's got such a beautiful meaning. Each of the steps is such a beautiful meaning. And it's just so nice. It's, it's so nice and refreshing to see. But yeah, it's changed a lot. It really has. It makes a huge difference, I think, when people actually understand what's going on. I remember when I got married to my husband, with me being half French, half English, and him being Spanish, we obviously had you know, some people that didn't speak other languages, and we were very aware of that, especially when we asked our friends and family to do their speeches. And even when we did our speeches and the ceremony, and we were very aware that, you know, if people don't understand, they're going to disconnect, they're going to start chatting and everything. And our way around it was that everybody speak in their own language, but we basically had printed out translations in all three languages so that people could follow and People all said, you know, everybody said it was such a good idea because we were able to connect with what was happening and actually understand and feel the emotion, just like you said. Because I think otherwise people just feel lost. And, you know, you might be lucky that your neighbor understands and translates for you, but then they're missing out on it because they're translating to you. And you obviously want the guest experience to be so beautiful and be an unforgettable memory. So we do the same. We, you know, we kind of print these lovely cards that explains all the different rituals, like you said, and has it all in English so that anybody, whether it's Asian or non-Asian guests attending the show or the wedding, they then know exactly what's going on. And yeah. they, they, they're with the whole ceremony, like you said, they're capturing all the emotions, which is always so, so beautiful and special. As a non-Indian guest that's an Indian wedding, is there anything special to pay attention to in order to be respectful of the culture? Yes, of course. So we touched upon the dress code, tried to avoid black and white, mm. um, as it is a big no-no for weddings. Obviously, they, they represent death, whereas we're obviously celebrating at weddings. So we want lots of colours and, of course, avoid red because the bride will tend to be wearing red if she isn't. But sometimes the brides are really, really, really good in the sense that they will advise all their guests that this is the dress code or this is the theme please you know wear colors of this theme for each night depending on what they're doing um and the rest is obviously when there are times of prayers a lot of asian weddings take place in the temple or the gurdwara or the mosque um so obviously always remember to take your shoes off when obviously everyone else does just to have you know to pay your respects uh because it is our temple and um shoes taking shoes off and walking bare feet is obviously part of it if you go to the gurdwara which is a sikh ceremony you have to always cover your head so those are things to always look out for um also to prepare you at some religious ceremonies not all um you will only you know get vegetarian food there will be no non-veg just for like religious requirements um, but the receptions if you know if the couples do eat meat and they're non-veg, then they will tend to have uh, non-veg, obviously, um, plates and curries and different requirements at their wedding. So that's another thing you guys should look after. And obviously some guests, just, just be a little bit modest, not too modest, sleeveless is fine, but just be a bit respectful in terms of the traditional parts that not too much skin is showing. So that would be the only tips and advice that I'd be able to give. Very good tips. 
And just a quick question, whilst we talk about vegetarian, etc., is alcohol served at weddings? Obviously, Muslim weddings, probably not. Yeah, correct. So Muslims, we Muslim weddings, no, 100%. They will never have any alcohol at their wedding. So you're always going to get mocktails um, or just, you know, like fresh juice, waters, etc. But yeah, for Indian weddings, yes, they're very big on drinking. So the whiskeys will be out. There'll be bottles of Bacardi whiskeys, uh, vodka on each table because wow. it's part of their culture to celebrate and everything is included, like, you know, food, tradition, drinks, music. It's a big part of saying, you know, my two of my children are getting married. My daughter's getting married. Come and celebrate with us. So, yeah, you will, for an Indian wedding, there will be lots of alcohol normally. Not the traditional parts, not where there's, you, you know that you're in temple or there's prayers going on. Yeah, of course. In the reception always, yes. And what is the most wonderful and crazy thing you've ever been asked for or that you've witnessed at an Indian wedding? Oh my God, crazy is the understatement of some of the unrealistic requests that we get, Charlotte. So for one of the weddings that I did last year, just within the week of the planning, uh, they decided that they wanted a celebrity performance. They wanted an Indian celebrity performance and we want you to make it happen. And here's the budget and make it happen. This is what um, is a surprise. This is who she loves. This is the artist that we want. And literally, because I've got great contacts in the industry and I've known all the celebrity performers just from my magazine editor days, we made it happen. They wanted us to fly in Imran Khan from Holland, who wasn't even in the country. Managed to get him on from one performance to another. He was performing in Glasgow. Get him on a flight to London and so that he could do a one hour set, especially for the bride and groom. But when I saw her emotion on the day of how much it meant and those songs that he sings, how much it meant to them, I can understand why so much you want to surprise her with that. So those are some of the crazy requests that we've got. Some of the other ones are, we want smoke bombs, you know, as a big entrance for when he comes in. Um, music restrictions are always a big thing where they yeah. want to till, you know, really early hours of the morning. The hotels are like, you can't be playing till this kind of... So, okay, well, then you're going to have to find us another place for an after party because that's... We want to continue celebrating throughout the night. Um, and then sometimes for some of the weddings where the parents don't know that they drink, it's like, can you arrange a private room for all of our friends and guests to have alcohol, uh, which is going to be, you know, very, very quiet and just for our friends to be able to enjoy. Because half the time as planners for Indian weddings, we are the mediators. We are the ones that, that are saying yes and no to the families for the children that are getting married. And we're literally brought in to be the bad cops sometimes just to be saying, no, that's not Yeah. Right. We're not going to be able to do that for you because obviously we are there to make sure that the couple are having their day, but they also need to make sure that the family and the parents are happy as well because, you know, they're paying for the wedding and, you know, we've just got to make sure that there's a whole mutual understanding and we're respecting both parties and that everything goes smoothly and, you know, everyone's happy all around, which is, and with any wedding, as you know, Charlotte, is always very difficult. Yeah, it is. But it's amazing as well because you find the sort of perfect balance in between things. Lastly, are there any Indian sayings about marriage that you'd like to share with us? Wow, there's so many. I think they just say that it's literally, this is where they take those seven steps. It's their seven steps towards their future of their life that they'll be taking together for an eternity of one another. And they say that when you marry your perfect, you know, match made in heaven, soulmate, 
they are seen as God to them and that they will always respect, love and cherish them in every way. They see them as, you know, God-like, then there's always going to be that unconditional infinity of love um, that will last for an eternity. Um, and then the two couple, well, the couple and the, you know, they'll both be really, really happy together forever. It's a very sacred, yeah, it's a very sacred marriage for us in Indian culture as a tradition is, is it's a sacred bond that is just unbreakable. Um, and that's why divorce was always such a taboo back in the day that it just was not, you had to make your marriage work, you know, it's a sacred yeah. and a bond that you've made and it's unbreakable. But if you see and respect your partner, if they are like a God, then, you know, you will always love, respect, trust and care for each other all the time. I like that. Although I don't know if I'm going to be telling my husband that he's got that <laughs> to me because I think it'll go too much to his head. It's time for the bitch fire round. Now we go to the bitch fire question round. I love this bitch fire question. I love it. It's so you. It's great. So I will basically give you a choice in between, for example, dog or cat, and you answer. I would say dog, but it has to be a puppy. Small. Very small. Fair enough. <laughs> um, and the more we go on, the quicker it goes. Um, so are you ready? Yes, definitely. Awesome. So Netflix or Prime? Netflix. Bath or shower? Definitely bar. ASOS or Zara? Zara. Sweet or savoury? Sweet. Coffee or tea? Can't live without coffee. Winter or summer? Sun chaser, summer girl. City or countryside? That was a hard one. Has to be countryside, especially after COVID. You appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Vintage or new? Vintage. And Instagram or Twitter? Love Instagram. Amazing. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us today on Bojral Bitch. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Can you remind us of your social media handle, please? Of course. Thank you so much for having me on here, Charlotte. And my social media handle is Anisha Vasani Creates with an S, um, as that's what we are, creative agency for uh, all our amazing bridal campaign photo shoots and our creative events. And of course, at Bride Lux, which our show is coming up also. So if any of you are getting married, please do visit our Bride Lux official page. And our new page that we've introduced for couples is Bride Lux to be as well. So we've separated them for both B2B and now B2C. So yeah, please do follow us on those as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for listening in, everybody. It's been an absolute pleasure to be back. And thank you, Anisha. I'm sure we'll be speaking very soon. Thanks, Charlotte. Bye. Bye. Remember to tune in next Monday for a brand new episode. And please rate and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. It really does help us out. We'll see you then. Au revoir, bitches. Bye.